0: the Frog for Life podcast. I'm your host, Rob Berline.
1: And uh, on August 31st at 1.50 p.m., she called me. I missed the call, and I called her back because I knew that she was going to be in for the uh, first home game at the new stadium. And um, so we're making small talk, kind of figuring out what we're going to do the next day uh, at the game and after the game. And because I wanted to wrap up the conversation um, because I knew why she was calling and I knew she had information for me, but I kind of figured that it was going to be another rejection.
0: That is the voice of John Medrano, who is one of four Hornfrog alumni joining us on this episode. John, Hazel Thomas, Graham McMillan, and Danny Calzo talk about their heroin journeys and kidney transplants and how hornfrog Frog friendships literally save their lives. Today we are talking about kidney donation, and we are so fortunate to have two sets of kidney donor recipients with us today. They are all TCU alums. We have Danny Koslow, Graham McMillan, Hazel Thomas, and John Madrano. Thank you so much for joining us today, guys.
1: Hello. Hi. Sure.
0: So uh, why don't we first start as that? how you guys all know each other.
1: Uh, I'll start. Sure. Uh, Hazel and I uh, went to Pascal High School back in, what, 1982 is mm-hmm. when we met. Uh, we had uh, AP English together, and then we had also marching band together. And uh, we carried our friendship over into uh, TCU. Our first class together was macroeconomics. First day of freshman year. <laughs> eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. So,
2: that's so happy to see a familiar face.
1: Yeah. So that's kind of, kind of how we started. It's
3: awesome. And Danny and I, uh, we met at TCU as well. Uh, or I guess not high school, but we met at TCU. And uh, we were, just had a lot of mutual friends. Um, I think the one time I remember seeing you most was just at our, our like house on Rogers. we mm-hmm. so was always kind of coming over watching Lord of the Rings and playing video games only the only thing you really do in college yep good old days <laughs>
0: right i heard that for danny and graham you guys like to wear coonskin caps is that true
4: yeah <laughs> yeah uh despite what some may believe uh from the news stories that came out about it we me and graham just went on a trip uh before actually before he decided to be my donor just because we're buddies and um we were wearing the skin hats as. Uh, just like a fun thing to do, that we just found him in this house and put him on, and had a good weekend. So
3: yeah, we just we saw him in the house and said we have to wear these all weekend, and then we just shot things on a ranch wearing yeah. coonskin hats <laughs> or missed things. Yeah, uh, in my right. case.
0: So it was not true that you just were each wearing coonskin caps and found each other in a crowd and said you're lifelong soulmates now.
3: It is amazing how the news can really twist. <laughs> and The things we heard that just people just grabbed and just ran with is funny. Mm-hmm. You need
0: to go with that. I mean, that's a heck of a story. Let's yeah. just keep going with that.
3: Danny and I were walking down TCU Street <laughs> just having to be wearing coonskin hats. Uh, we were socially awkward enough to do that and just uh, met each other. It was awesome.
4: That's how I was looking for a donor i just put one weird thing on (laughs) and i found the match (laughs) it it was meant to be
0: um so let's get into each of your your stories first um we'll go with hazel and and john first john you had been in pain for a while i understand before you got your your kidney transplant talk about kind of your your personal journey
1: sure um back in i'm gonna start probably back in 1991 i started having uh kidney issues started with kidney stones Um, I had a surgery then uh, to remove the kidney stones. You fast forward about 10 years to 2001, September of 2001, and I had removal scar tissue uh, from that initial surgery Um, probably starting around 2009 is when I started having some uh, serious health issues, more serious health issues. And I had a mild heart attack, congestive heart failure, and was in renal insufficiency. And so I had probably about nine months before I went on to dialysis, which I started in in about uh, September of 2009. And um, I struggled. It was a really difficult time. I never felt well. Um, Never had good days. And um, it was was really tough between working full-time and dialysis basically became a part-time job and um, you know even even on alternate days where I didn't have treatment it was still just very difficult and it was an exhaustion beyond an exhaustion that I'd ever felt and um, so I was on dialysis and uh, probably about close to about two and a half years at that point and I just decided well you know what if I don't have a, a donor or if I don't find another relief, um, probably by the end of 2012, I was just going to say enough, uh, cause I really struggled a lot and, um, I was in pain. I was really exhausted. Um, and I was just tired of being tired all the time. And so in may of uh, 2012, I, you know, pretty much put it out there that, um, I was seeking a donor, went on Facebook, and gave all the information um, for UT Health Science Center in San Antonio, where I had the, eventually had the transplant, and I said, you know, here's the contact information. If anyone's available or interested, or know of anybody that's interested, then, you know, please share this information with them. And there were probably 13, if I recall, 13 uh, potential donors, and one by one they were rejected, a couple of people had um, hypertension, a couple of people discover that they were diabetic and, um, probably, I guess it was late August. Uh, in fact, it was August 24th, 2012. I remember <laughs> that, uh, Hazel disclosed that she was a candidate and a strong candidate. And, um, we were awaiting a response, um, probably that next week at the end of that next week, mm-hmm. And um, on August 31st at 1.50 p.m., she called me. I missed the call, and I called her back because I knew that she was going to be in for the uh, first home game at the new stadium. And um, so we're making small talk, kind of figuring out what we're going to do the next day uh, at the game and after the game And because I wanted to wrap up the conversation um, because I knew why she was calling. And I knew she had information for me, but I kind of figured that it was going to be another rejection. So I really didn't want to hear the rejection again. And she was the last hope. She was the last chance, and I'd already decided that that was pretty much it. And um, so before I hung up with her, she says, well, the real reason why I called was to let you know that I am your organ donor. And she was... um, I don't know from that point on she was just very steadfast and I I told her you know you really don't have to do this and because it's like a sister to me even you know we've known each other for a very long time and um she said no we're gonna do this and she gave me the tentative date at that time was considered a tentative date and um I said okay well you know let's just kind of see how this goes and it was about six weeks later when i actually had the transplant um but you know every so often during that period of time i kept trying to tell hazel you know what it's fine i'll love you anyway even if you decide to go against it and change your mind and you know i'll just i'll just sit tight and stay on dialysis and just pretty adamant that no we're moving forward there was if you, if anyone could see the the look on her face and in her eyes, you could just tell that she was determined, that this was going to happen. And even though I was wavering, she never did. So that's hey, kind of our story.
0: Hazel, what do you remember about uh, any preparation you did leading up to that phone call?
2: A lot, actually. Um, back in 2010 was when John and I actually reconnected we had lost touch with each other over the years after graduation Um, we graduated in 1990 and then for a couple of years we were still in touch but then you moved to Austin and life happened and we just kind of lost touch and that was way before the internet was nearly as robust as it is now and so we lost contact and then on Facebook we reconnected late 2009 early 2010 and we had a uh, small reunion of friends from pascal uh, in june of 2010 and that's when john let a lot of us know what was going on with his health issues and health concerns and after that dinner we were out in the parking lot and it was just the two of us and john was talking a little bit more about his struggles and i said You know, well, when you're ready, I'm your donor, and then didn't say anything else, just kind of let it go. And I really didn't have a clue what all I meant by that, but I just had this sense within me that I was going to be his donor. So we let it go. I told him from that point on, whatever you want to do with the time that you have, I'm here for you. So we started planning all the TCU events we could come up with. And sort of go into lots of things together, including the Rose Bowl. Awesome. Sweet. Perfect. Awesome. Wonderful time. Yep. The parade and all, everything. Um, and then just continued on in that way. And then in 2012, in May, like he said, when he put it out there on Facebook, um, I then had a conversation with my husband and I said, I'm going to be his match once I go through this, but are you willing to go through this with me? (laughs) And he's just like, you don't know you're going to, I know. But once the town is confirmed that I'm his match, are you willing to go through this? And he's like, yes. (laughs) And then, so I completed all the paperwork. I didn't let him know for, as he said, for weeks, because I didn't want to put that out there and give him any sort of sense of false hope. But then as the it was progressing and they were telling me different things about, yes, this is going well, this is working, you do seem to be getting close to being the only one at this point, I was like, okay. And so then I decided to let him know, hey, I've been tested because it looks like I knew it looked like 90% I was going to be the compatible match. And so, yeah, so I got that call um, from the donor center in San Antonio, Uh, on that august 31st and they said well we can let john oh no 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 that's my phone call (laughs) (laughs) i am making that call oh is that yes this is how this is working (laughs) i'm the one making the call so as it as he said uh, i called he didn't answer i left a quick i think i left a brief message and then called back and as he said he did not want to hear he just kept talking about everything else except that. And before he hung, hung up, I said, I am your compatible match. And he made me repeat it, and I said it again. I am your compatible match.
0: Now, John, was it a uh, difference to you in that Hazel was actually calling instead of the hospital themselves since it sounds like they seem to call you for everybody else, and this was Hazel calling you?
1: No. it. it in fact, uh, I think if had more of an impact I I think it was better that she called I'm glad she she chose to make that phone call rather than than the um, Science Center itself Um, just it's more personal and so I I appreciated the call that much more and I was able to cry freely (laughs) at the other end and uh, I just it was a really good decision on her part and all the way around
0: and now we'll go to Danny and Graham Hey, let's hear about your story.
4: All right. So uh, I got diagnosed with something called Alport syndrome in 2010. Around that time, I was either sophomore, junior, in, in high school, I'd been having symptoms like swollen ankles, and um, that's pretty much the only symptom. It was super annoying, and I would tell my parents, and they're like, oh, puberty. You know, I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so I just kept, you know, played sports and stuff, and was typical and i tried to donate blood one time and in high school and they told me i was anemic which means you got a little iron and stuff in your blood so my parents were suspicious about that one one thing led to another um we got i got diagnosed with alport syndrome which is like a genetic disease i inherited from my mom and she didn't know she had it she was just a carrier but it's x-linked so i'm the boy that got it i got one x and one y chromosome so I'm dominant, and it shows in me. And so I started to show signs of kidney failure when I was 17, and doctors said, like, oh, if you're just healthy, it might last till you're 40. And I'm like, oh, cool. And then they just monitor some of your numbers, like your creatinine, and as the creatinine started to increase and another number started to to decrease, which showed, like, the percentage of function in your kidney, I started to realize, oh, I'm going to go into kidney failure a lot sooner than then forty, so thanks for giving my hopes up buddy but now i'm <laughs> twenty two years old, and it's looking like it's coming real soon so uh fast forward to my senior year, yeah, like my senior year of college, my numbers starting to get more serious, and knowing that I'd be needing my transplant within the next year or two, and then in uh January two thousand and sixteen so right after we grad- I graduated from t c u uh this next January. Uh, my glomerular filtration rate which is basically shows you the percentage of your kidney function was below 20 and that's when you can start getting tested with uh, donors so I'd been seeing it coming because the trend was going down and by January I had compiled a list there's a bunch of buddies through college who I would tell about my condition I didn't like to talk about it but I have hearing loss associated with it so when they would see my hearing aids they'd be like why are you doing that and I'm like well I actually have a kidney disease and they're like, oh, cool, if you need a kidney, let me know. And so I'd like, oh, thanks, buddy. we laugh about it, and I'd write their name down. With me. <laughs> and so that January, I started to call around and and got a list of about, like, 10 guys who who I'd talked to again, and they said they'd be willing to test with me. And um, just praise God that it was happening at a time, like, by the end of college, where everyone's still so connected. And uh, And then started testing, and some of my... Best buds got uh, denied because of one thing or another. They really do a great job making sure the donor is as healthy as can be and that there's no risk for the donor. And so they would get ruled out for little things, like one of my brothers-in-law showed up late to his appointment, and he rushed up the stairs. They checked his blood pressure. It was high, even though he doesn't have hypertension. But they were like, oh, no. And so I was like, Andy, really? <laughs> <laughs> get there early. But uh, it was all for God's glory. And, and so I'm really thankful that that didn't work out. But a bunch of my siblings got denied, a couple of buddies. And then I remember actually the first time Graham and I talked about him donating to me. Uh, he was at our house and with, hanging out with one of my roommates. And Graham and I were really just kind of acquaintances through other friends and through church. and But obviously we knew each other well, uh, well enough. And Graham was over and my ro- my roommate at that time was the one, the first one on my list, and I was he's like Danny, like when you need to need a test, let me know, and I'm like, oh, Graham, like my buddy's got it. Thanks, but no thanks, like <laughs> I got him taken care of. And then in gosh, what month, March or April, I called him again. I was like, hey, so I take back what I said. <laughs> Would you be willing to test test with me? And and yeah, so we started going through testing.
3: Yeah, actually. We met at Work on Kambui, and he sat and was like, all right, you're next on the list. I was like, okay, let's do it. I'm excited. And I forgot, like, a major piece, and that is, like, telling my wife, <laughs> like, no idea. <laughs> uh, so not I would not recommend giving away a vital organ verbally before uh, talking to your spouse. Uh, but she, she was, like, really understanding. I was like, all right, I think I'm excited to see. If you are a match, see if mm-hmm. this is gonna be the
4: what happens. Yeah, and then on, <laughs> and then by June twenty, June twenty third, twenty sixteen, uh, Graham got word that he was positive uh, to match with me, and so we were scheduled our transplant for July twenty seventh. And by that time, my GFR was five percent, and the doctors were telling me, "You have to be on dialysis." And I was just like, "I feel good enough. I want to wait. I don't want to start dialysis because I am a nurse and." Um, clearly there's lots of issues that are associated with dialysis. And I've wanted to avoid it at all costs. And the Lord just provided an amazing way at the last moment uh, with Graham's kidney. So, so thankful.
0: So as we hear, this is a very special bonding experience with you guys. But it goes to a different level with you two because, as you alluded to earlier, you made the news because Graham decides to video his <laughs> telling you that you're going to be a match.
3: Hey guys, this is Graham McMillan. Uh, I found out today that I just got approved to be my good friend Danny's kidney donor. He's been needing a kidney for a while now, and we just found out that I got approved today. So we're gonna surprise him at work today with this sign. Pretty punny, right? Let's do this. Oh, there she is. Alright, sweet. We got him in. Do you want to have these? Yes. You ready? <laughs> hey boss, I heard you're in need of a kidney. No. Do you want mine? Come on. you <laughs> today, baby. My kidney's going inside
0: that body right there. <laughs> Graham, what did you, I mean, what were you planning when you did, uh, clearly your wife knew about this video, and uh, you had told her at that point, I guess, when you know you had you yeah. matched...
3: So the, the testing process is pretty lengthy, and so we kind of, you know, step by step, like, okay, got past this hurdle, got past this hurdle, got past this hurdle, and it came down to one phone call, and I was at, at work, and I was just praying. I know the call was coming today, and I heard news, and I'm, if you can't tell, I'm pretty fly-by-the-seat kind of guy <laughs> on my pants. And so uh, I just grabbed one of my students, my high school pastor, I grabbed one of my students and said, take this camera and follow me. And I went to Walgreens and made a sign that said, uh, heard you're in need of a kidney, um, and uh, do you want mine? And so, I stood outside of his work, and and then we walked in, and with his sister, and uh, just got to tell him the good news. It was awesome. It was really, really, yeah, uh, a great day, just a celebratory day because you've been waiting for boy. You knew that you were going to need this for a long time, but you were waiting. You were like on pins and needles, waiting for a while. Yeah.
4: And it was perfect timing, and and that. June 23rd day, I was trying to get off work, and like the guys that were there to replace me to take the night shift, he was like sitting on the other side of the room. Obviously, he knew Graham was coming, and I'm, like, looking at him from where I'm sitting, like, dude, are you going to come take report? Like, I need to go. I got to hear if I got this kidney or not. And so I'm sitting there before Graham walks in, and I'm, like, really upset with this. My co is like, you know this is a big day for me. And then I just see Graham walk through the door with yellow balloons, which were very appropriate for urine. and, uh, And the sign was just terrific, and it was a sweet moment.
3: Yeah, and ever since then, it's just been cool. Spread like wildfire. People like in foreign countries would email us and and say, you know, you've inspired us to look into organ donation. And CNN picked it up, and we actually interviewed with Ellen's team. But I don't know if they I don't think they thought we were attractive enough. Sorry, Dan. That was what it is. They told us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Couldn't dance. So, yeah. Pretty crazy.
0: So. You guys, both, uh, both sets of you, you have the, the surgeries. And what do you think was the hardest part going through that that you weren't prepared for? For me, I didn't
1: think anything was particularly hard other than knowing that my friend was going to have surgery because of me. That was the hard part because uh, everything else flowed pretty well. And I'd done a lot of research prior to the transplant itself um probably for a solid year and i i looked at different types of websites to see what to expect and it's pretty accurate you know i mean i, I immediately when once i was recovering um i immediately felt physically better and it, it was incredible that the difference that the the kidney transplant made huge difference
2: Yeah. I knew um, enough about transplant. I've been working in healthcare for years. I'm a chaplain by trade, and I knew enough about transplants that the recipient, the body of the recipient, is very welcoming and needs something, and so it's ready for the surgery, whereas the, the body of the donor has no clue what
3: just happened what
2: what you doing i was good (laughs) why 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 (laughs) so you go in healthy and you leave in pain you know whereas the the recipient goes in in pain or not as healthy and leaves feeling incredibly better so i knew that totally different when you experience it
3: yeah say the most physically painful thing was i got the hiccups like the day <gasps> afterwards and my friends were in there just laughing at me and i'm just, not just so bad uh so the, the hiccups were i'm terribly afraid of hiccups now i have a hiccup phobia i'm going to counseling for it. it's okay um, i kidding.
2: totally get it <laughs> yeah
3: uh i'd say like emotionally scary which is kind of the thought of like you know and there's, any, there's risk in any surgery, right? And so I remember sitting across the, you know, you kind of, you have beds that face each other before you go into the OR. I remember sitting there with my wife, like, okay, like, you know, I recognized. you told her that she, you were going to do this by this <laughs> time. She knows that. Yeah, she, knows she showed that. up to the hospital that day and was that like, that was hey, guess great, what? hey, yeah. so glad you're here. Yeah, yeah. Could you hold my hand? Yeah, and you know, yeah. I think my, like, fear was so, uh, I guess, absolved by just, like, the reality that, man, God was in this and he had orchestrated all this and that he was going to be my peace through it and that he was going to guide us through it no matter what happened. It was, it just seemed like, and, and I knew that God was in complete control and this is what he wanted us to do.
4: There's no bad side of a organ donation for a recipient. So I was just concerned with my buddy and so thankful for him and excited about really just re-beginning my life, uh, even though up to that point I'd been persevering on through any sickness. like I just kept looking at it as that's what the Lord wanted for me at that time, and, and with this new organ he was providing for me, I'm excited to do even more after the surgery.
2: Yeah, I also want to uh, kind of piggyback on what Graham said about the peace. That's what I had from the very beginning. Totally. I, I just knew, and if God hadn't given me that peace— there's no way I don't (laughs) think that you know Mm -hmm. but I knew I've already been an advocate for donation anyway so it wasn't that big of a leap to actually go from donating blood to in Mm. my mind to donating an organ it was hugely in John's mind (laughs) Mm -hmm. and in my husband's mind shall I also say Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Um, but I didn't even on the day I had more just wondering how what is gonna happen I've never had a surgery so I had no idea mm-hmm. experientially what it was, how it was going to be. Yeah. Um, and so waking up at 4am to get to the hospital at 5am, <laughs> but it still was just the, I'm just so grateful that God gave me all that peace.
1: Mm-hmm. The, the morning of surgery, I remember texting Hazel and said, Hey, why don't we just go and have breakfast and call it a day? <laughs> <laughs> like, so, so do this. <laughs>
0: And you said how, for the recipient, obviously, your lives are, you know, immediately changed for the better. Donors, you have a harder time. Has there been any change of your in terms of your lifestyle since then for lo- long-term effects for the donors?
3: No. I mean, I'm, mm. Yeah, totally back to the way it was. I think there was just really like three months of drinking a lot of water and, the you know, healing really is what it was. And your other kidney compensates for the, for what it wasn't doing, I guess is how you'd say it, Denny.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you don't, you only need one kidney to, to be alive and perfectly healthy. Some people are born with one, some people are born with three, and some people just have two and they eventually fail. But, uh, it's amazing that God just kind of provided a spare tire in every person that's alive. And the reality of kidney donation, which I think is awesome, is the, the, the people who donate a kidney, that population is healthier than the general public.
3: Yeah, it's weird.
4: Because when you're an organ donor, the population of people who are organ donors are healthy people compared to the general public where their sicknesses. So if you, get, if you get approved to be an organ donor, that's basically like them telling you, you got to get a chance to live till you're 80. So right. uh, we'll take this kidney and have a good life.
0: <laughs> so how do you guys commemorate each of the surgery dates? Do you guys do any special thing for the anniversaries?
2: Well, our anniversary is was a lifetime date. It was 10, 11, 12. Um, so every October 11th, we at least get together or text or call or something. The first year we did, uh, both our families got together, had dinner together. The surgery was on a Thursday in, in 12, and so in 13, it was a Friday. So we were able to get all our families together and um, probably like 15 or 18. I mean, there's a lot of us. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah.
1: Um, we try and have we do something, something. somewhere and do something nearby somewhere. around the anniversary
2: yeah. so yeah
1: ours,
3: ours was pretty bougie <laughs> uh, because we we're so young I think there's so much media attention wait, wait, wait
2: young, what, what
3: wow oh, no, <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry I think because we were, we're in college not, we're not on life support <laughs> wow. <Jeez>. uh, sorry <laughs> Uh, I think because there was a lot of media attention yeah. that uh, we we had a big, huge dinner at Del Frisco's in the nice. basement. It was awesome. And then we did that again. That was the
4: night before our surgery. So like, yeah. we're going into the OR with <laughs> half a steak going on. <laughs> <water. Right. laughs>
3: uh, and then we did that again. And then we came to it. We're like, I wonder if maybe we shouldn't spend half of our income. <laughs> on, uh, so, a year. Year. so we do a dinner and then... Uh, the National Kidney Foundation kind of took us in, and so we do this thing called Bonsante with them. It's kind of a commemorative thing that we get to go do. Um, yeah, I think the cool part is Danny really, was family, like, made me a Colzo. Like, I'm Graham Colzo to them. They don't really
0: pay nice. attention to my
3: last, last name, so they just brought me in, and anytime there's a Colzo dinner here, he has, like, 15 siblings, so we just all get together and eat and celebrate. <laughs>
0: And with kidney, uh, kidney awareness month is actually upon us here in March. Um, does that, as March, really taken on a big significance to you, if, with you guys going through this?
2: I don't know that I think about March as much as April when I think about uh, just organ donation in general. April is organ donor month, organ donor awareness month.
4: Yeah, at, a, at working as a nurse, they do exactly. they do a push yeah. for that as well, uh, yeah. but. Not necessarily contained to one month, just whenever we get to share our story. Right. I get to remind people of the blessing that organ donation can be.
0: Exactly. And so what are each of you doing now?
1: Um, in terms of employment? Just you,
0: yeah, just so, your just life. Just... What, what are each of you up to now? <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. What do you do?
1: Doing a podcast right now. <laughs> doing <a podcast. laughs> um, Yeah, I mean, I'm living my life, um, enjoying my life, and making the most of every single day, traveling, hanging out with friends, family. Just doing all the things I couldn't do when I was on dialysis when I was very recluse and very sick. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm serious. Every single day, I just did not feel well. and uh, But now I'm, I'm enjoying every single day of my life doing the best.
2: Yeah, uh, I work as a chaplain. I'm now a chaplain director up here in the Metroplex. I was in Houston at the time of donation. Um, I work at Harris downtown Fort Worth. As the as the director of pastoral care. And life is the same, yeah. Just keep on, uh, keep on keeping on. But definitely continue to advocate for all sorts of donation, um, and, and just share our story.
3: Yeah, it's been awesome. I've been, I mean, same. I am my high school pastor here in Fort Worth at Christ Chapel and. I've since had a kid. My wife stayed with me and decided to start a family nice. after I told her. Nice. Uh, uh, um, and yeah, man, just really enjoying our community and life here in Fort Worth. It's been a, it's been a blast.
4: I uh, I work for Baylor Scott and White Healthcare System as a as a nurse, but I'm originally or I recently got admitted to TCU, so I'm back as a student at TCU nice. online right now. But I'm a part of the nurse anesthesia program, graduating in December 2022. So it's a three-year program so I'm once again a horn frog and I'm very Woo-hoo. excited about it hey.
3: what That's would
0: true. what would you say are some of the life lessons you've learned through this whole process
2: first thing that comes to mind when you say that is really just to trust God and trust the process I mean who knew back in the 80s when John and I were in high school and going through college at TCU together that one day we would be reconnected mm and i would end up being his his kidney donor i mean god has a much larger plan than we ever <laughs> oh, yeah. think and imagine and it was because of our friendship and connection that was really close and tight at that time that even john reached out in his time you know and when it was when he was ready to even reconnect with friends old friends good friends and that's part of God's plan. We didn't see it at all. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think probably for all of us and listening to, you know, everybody here, faith in in God is what's been really important. um, And trusting God and, you know, with his plan. And um, I think that's gotten all of us through, you know, the, the surgeries and, and the lead up to it all and continues to lead our lives.
3: It's a hard question
1: because you can't can't put a
3: microphone in front of a pastor and then ask about life. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to get a monologue, you know.
2: Um, Sermon Sermon (laughs) number what? (laughs) Uh,
3: You know, I mean, Jesus lived a radically different life, right? And he said that uh, a generous life is the way to to true blessing, you know, like a a life of giving is a life of, of living, like truly living. And so... I mean, he says there's no greater love than this, that someone should lay down his life for his friends. And it's not from the standpoint of, like, I should be gloating in that, but rather everybody can lay down their life for somebody in some small, minute way every day. And so you don't have to go up to somebody and say, hey, would you like this vital organ of mine? <laughs> um, you can, I mean, you can die right. to yourself every single day and recognize there's so much blessing to be had. And that's really how you're supposed to live. Like, it's how you're supposed to live, you know? If that's just affirmation of that lifestyle that Christ emulated for us,
4: sermon over. (laughs) Uh, One of the most encouraging things in my life was when I was diagnosed when I was in high school. I was just reading my Bible the next day, and I came across a verse that the Lord clearly put in front of me. Um, It's John 9, verses like 1 through 3, but basically Jesus and his disciples are walking down the road, and they come across a man who's born blind, and the disciples ask Jesus, why was he born this way, was it, like, what did he do, and Jesus says, well, it not cause it's not because his sinned, or his parents sin, but so the glory of God can be shown in his life, and that was just an amazingly encouraging uh, verse for me at that time, and going through the whole organ failure, I just knew, so the glory of God will be shown in my life, and I had no fear, because that's what I want, and encouragement from this is just any affliction that I face or anyone faces um, instead of asking God and saying you don't deserve it but you can look at it as God's will is that you go through this so that he can be glorified in your life and I take so much joy in that and I'm really blessed by any afflictions I face and super excited for the next one.
0: That's a very different view of the world than most people have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's right. a lot of people be mad That's at you right.
3: saying that, but it is—it's I mean, so true. Yeah, it's true.
0: Yeah. Um, on a happier note, when we get away <laughs> from the life—the deepest life meanings—we're here on the campus of TCU, and where you guys all met John and Hazel for the second time. Uh, um, yeah. What would you guys say is your favorite TCU memory? Oh. <laughs> wow
3: gosh that's so hard right
4: i think the one that the first one that comes to my mind is <laughs> it's not my favorite but it's the most out there is when the first college football playoff selection happened we were at the aardvark uh our church nice. meets there on sunday mornings and they had like the news crews come in and we found out we had been Basically, like cheated out of the top spot by Ohio State, right. and so we missed right. the college football playoff. But that was a fun time of anger. <laughs> camaraderie.
0: Yeah, camaraderie. Again, this is the guy that looks forward to affliction.
4: <laughs> I made it through because God is good.
2: <laughs> Dropping three to six—that's that's nothing. Right,
4: we're all over
0: it. We'll ask Coach Patterson if he believes the yeah. right. right. sure does right. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, John and I, I think we have the same idea. Yeah. It's definitely the Rose Bowl experience and, mm-hmm. and doing all of that. And for us, when we were at TCU, they were not winning. No. I mean, no. if we had one or two wins a season, we were thrilled. Much. You would go to this the game and It didn't matter what your ticket said, because you were roaming the entire stadium.
1: And I had to go to the games. I was in. You were
2: in the band for
1: three of the four years.
2: Yeah, so to have that low, low in the football world and the football history, and then to get to the point where we were for the Rose Bowl, and we actually were both at the Fiesta Bowl, but we didn't know it. Yeah, that the other one was there. Um, but then going to the Rose Bowl together and the whole, the parade, the whole weekend and all of that, and then coming back and being a part of all the celebrations. So yeah, that's probably our best memory.
3: Yeah, uh, man, my, I had so many incredible <laughs> memories at TCU. Right. I think just, I think the small moments of, I, I used to walk a lot around campus, a beautiful campus, and I think just walking around campus and, and enjoying, uh, just a small community and getting to walk by and see people I know all the time was just the greatest feeling. It's, it's a gr- it was a great time. Of just, When your community's small and you walk around and see people's faces, it's a, it brings a lot of joy to you. So I, 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 those are my favorite memories.
0: This was so wonderful and special. And your story is now, for those that if this is hearing it for the first time, Again, this is they are four wonderful people that set an example for all of us. So thank you guys again for joining us today. Thank
3: you, thank Go frogs.
0: You. Thank you, go, go frogs. frogs. Thank you to KTCU and co-manager Jeff Craig for their editing of this episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Frog for Life podcast. If you or a friend or family member would like to get in touch with us to share your story, please contact us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at TCU Alumni. We look forward to sharing our next story of how TCU Alumni are changing the world.